First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. All right. This morning, by a show of hands, how many of you would like to love life and see good days? Okay, that's most of you. So uh, that means for those of you who didn't raise their hands, they want to hate life and see bad days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, for those of you who desire to love life and see good days, you have come to the right place. Because today Peter is going to tell us how to fulfill that. How to love life and to have good days. And then it will be up to you. Once we put the ball back into your court, it will be up to you to apply what Peter is going to teach us today. But if your desire is to love life and to see good days, you need to pay attention. Because he's going to teach us something today. And it's not going to be easy. God never called us to easy as a matter of fact, he's called us to impossible, but through the Holy Spirit, we can do that. If people were honest, the true desire of, of every human, well, every sane person upon this earth is to love life and to have good days. No person wants to hate life and have bad days. And those who do have just simply given up on life. They've just given up on loving life and having good days. They looked around in the beginning and they looked at, at people who seemed to have it all together. They look around and see people who are happy and they think, I want to be like them. <clears throat> and so they begin to mimic the things that they've seen. Couples seem to love life. When you see couples in good relationships, they seem to love life. And so they try relationships. They may be happy for a while, but it doesn't take long to figure out that it's not in someone else's power to make you happy. And after a few attempts at love, they just give up on love. The whole relationship thing is just out of their reach. And so they decide that maybe it's sex without marriage. Maybe that's it. They seem to be happy on TV, those who, who have these uh, relationships without marriage or without any type of relationships. And that was fun for a while. But happiness is not found in sex without relationships. As a matter of fact, it left you feeling even more miserable than you were before. The commercials on TV show beautiful people that seem to really be happy going to parties and drinking alcohol. 
Even that was fun for a while. But after the hangovers, the bar fights, waking up next to strangers, the DWIs and the uncontrollable desire for more and more alcohol, you figured out that happiness was not in the party scene. Maybe it's bigger and better toys, bigger homes, newer and fancier cars, in the motorcycles, designer clothes. Every one of those people, every one of those left you feeling disappointed. Someone tells you to smoke this or to snort this or to try this pill. Or to shoot that. But what you don't understand is that your first high is the highest high that you will ever feel. And it was amazing. It was the most amazing thing you ever felt. But you try and try and try again. And no matter how much you take, every high will let you down. And so you do more. And you do stronger. That's why we have so many that OD today. It's because they're trying to reach that first high that they had that they can never attain. It's not in sex. It's not in drugs. It's not in alcohol. It's not in things. You finally come to the conclusion that to love life and see good days is just not in the cards for you. And so you try to do the best that you can. And though you can't love life, you might just have a few good days in this life. One of the most notorious 20th century personifications of the hedonist life was the famed novelist Ernest Hemingway. The author of noted literary works such as Sun Also Rises, A Farewell to Arms, and The Old Man and the Sea. Hemingway also became notorious for his avant-garde lifestyle. He had little regard for the teaching of, of the Bible or traditional systems of morality. He pursued the good life with a vengeance. His literary talent brought him fame, prestige, and money, which allowed him to seek pleasure all over the world through hunting and fishing expeditions, celebrity parties and gatherings, heavy drinking, fighting, in and reporting on several wars and revolutions, sleeping with women wherever he went. However, None of that ultimately gave Hemingway any lasting or genuine satisfaction. His life ended tragically one day in 1961 when he inflicted himself with a fatal gunshot wound to the head. And we see examples of of this type of lifestyle in the pages of Scripture. Solomon had incredible wealth in the form of land and palaces, chariots and horses, gold and silver, and all the women that he could ever want. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, it says that when the queen of Sheba had visited Solomon and observed his immense wealth, 
power and imposing presence, it said she was breathless. But Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17, Solomon wrote this, So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. You see, Solomon came to realize that the good life is not found in great accomplishments or much education. And he finally rendered this sobering conclusion that life is really more oppressive than good. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who never existed. Who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun? That's Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Today, Peter is going to tell us how to truly love life and to see good days. And it's actually very simple, but it's also very hard to do. You must be totally committed to what Peter tells us to do today if you expect to love life and to see good days. You see, that means that it's up to you. It's your choice. You decide. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life, and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Finally, this is not the end of Peter's letter, obviously, but this is the end of his thought. He has taught us to submit to the governing authorities over us, <coughs> to submit to our workplace leadership, and to submit to our spouses, wives to his leadership, and husbands to her needs. Even in situations where the environment is hostile, we are still called to submit and now he concludes with the church. 
Now, this will open us as Christians to a life of blessings from God. The only way that this will succeed is if we go into this with the right attitude. Be all, be ye all of one mind. Listen, this doesn't mean be a bunch of clones. This doesn't mean that we all have to believe exactly the same thing. That we have to speak alike. That we have to be exactly alike. This is not what Peter is talking about. It means that we all have a common commitment to the truth. We all have a common commitment to the truth. I remember one time when a pastor friend of mine from a large church had approached the leadership of his denomination about allowing a couple of men to become deacons within the church. Even though they had not fully fulfilled all of the requirements, uh, which the requirements was speaking in tongues, which was a requirement for them to be deacons within the church, even though they had displayed many other gifts of the Holy Spirit, the leadership said absolutely not. They said this is what defines us. This is what separates us from the other denominations. Not because that's what Scripture teaches, but simply because that's who we are. And that's what separates us from all of the other denominations. Absolutely not. Listen, we must be committed to the truth. Even if it shakes the very foundation of what you have always believed. And anyone who's been here for any amount of time knows that over the years, for me... There's been at least two, maybe three times my doctrinal beliefs have been challenged to the core, have been shaken at their very foundations just because of our studies, just because we got in deep and we looked at Scripture in context. Two of the three were changed. After much study and much prayer, I completely changed my beliefs And the third is on shaky ground. But that is why we adopted almost from the very beginning a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, book-by-book teaching and preaching of God's Word. Context is important. It's It's very important that we understand what was being taught at that moment, in that context, and we don't think take things out of Scripture to meet our thoughts and our ideas and what we believe. Listen, I have no problem with you disagreeing with me on the non-essential teachings. I have no problem. As long as you have studied it for yourself. As long as you have prayed about it. And then and only then you came to your own conclusion. I have no problem with that. 
You don't believe that just because that's what the old church always taught me or just because that's what mom and dad always said or just because that's what my Sunday school teacher taught me. No, you studied yourself and you come to the conclusion yourself through much prayer and through much study. When you say, that's just the way it was always taught in the old church, what that says is I'm too lazy to study myself. I'm too lazy to look it up. I'm too lazy to go in and make my own conclusions. I'll just listen to what everybody else teaches me, and that's what I'll believe. You know, I'm a little embarrassed at how many times and how many scriptures I've used out of context over the years. At times when it was not at all what it was meant in that section. That was just always how I had heard it taught. That was always how I had heard it used. I had one of those aha moments just last Sunday night with Mr. Frank with the heaping the coals up on the head. Frank, I'd never looked at it like that. It just made sense to me. We, I'd, I'd heard that verse my whole life. And, and, and if, you're, if, if those that are against you are, are hungry, you feed them. And if they're thirsty, you give them water. And that, with that, you heap coals upon their head. I always looked at that at like some type of vengeance. <laughs> I'll give them water. I'll give them food. And then God will pour fire upon their head. And Frank said, that's not at all what that's talking about. You give them food if they're hungry. You give them water if you're thirsty. And you send fire home so they can heat their houses. I was like, huh? That makes perfect sense. Why in the world would God tell us to be good to them just to heap fire up on their head? And how many times have we used that scripture like that? How many times have we used it as, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to get them good. I'm going to kill them with kindness. That is not at all the Spirit of God. Oh my goodness, I had, it was like the light went on. And how many times, how many scriptures have we used like that? That we've always heard, that's just the way it was always taught. That's the way it was always used. That was the way it was always said, so that's the way it has to be. And then you sit down and you spend a little time in scripture and you look at stuff and you get in and you study and you go, oh my, boy did I mess that one up. Only to find out through one of our studies, only to find out through one of our intense Bible studies that I've been using it wrong this whole time. But I thank God for that. I thank God for those studies. Philippians, to bear with me, my printer wouldn't print this morning. I get to use technology. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 says this, Only let your manners of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We as a body must be in harmony. Harmony is not one verse or or, or one note played by everybody. That's not harmony. Harmony is many notes played in unison to create beautiful music that flows together. Man, if you've ever stood up here or if you've ever heard Sheena and Melissa do harmony up here, oh my goodness, it sounds like two angels up here. Man, they harmonize good together. But it's not the same. It's two notes that that flow together to create beautiful music. Jesus prayed this in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, for the ones that were around him at that time, but also for all that will ever believe in me through their message. That's you. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. (coughs) Having compassion one of another. This means literally means sharing their feelings. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who who mourn. Listen, we must share in the feelings of others. Heartfelt, genuine feelings. You know, you can tell when someone's heart is just not into it. In the past couple of days, I was, I was standing and I was talking to a gentleman. We were having a conversation And the next thing I know, I look over at him as I'm talking, and he's like this. I really wanted to just turn around and walk away is what I wanted to do. Because obviously his heart was not in the conversation that him and I was having. His heart was somewhere else. You can tell when someone is genuine. You can tell when they have a heartfelt feeling for you. When they feel your pain, when they feel your joy, you can tell. Listen, be genuine. Be committed. Love as brethren. Listen, this is a close relationship. Being there for one another in church as well as out of church. Love like brethren. It says, be pitiful or or kind-hearted, some translations say. This literally refers to your bowels. And we understand this. We've heard this before, right? We've heard things said like, I had a gut feeling. 
Or when you are nervous, you say you have butterflies where? In your stomach? We understand having those feelings deep down inside. It means that we're so committed to one another that when someone hurts, it affects us deep within our bowels. <coughs> and then he says, be courteous. Be courteous or humble in spirit. It literally means to be humble-minded. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. A humble spirit is one of our most essential characteristics as Christians. A humble spirit. Listen. The joy of a Christian is maximized when, one, they're united in truth. When they're united in life with one another, deeply committed, committed, sensitive to joy and to pain, sacrificial in loving service to all, compassionate instead of harsh, and above all, humble like our Savior was humble. But listen, it's more than just right actions. It's also right reactions. Hmm. Now, what I want you to do now is I want you to look around. Go ahead, take time, look around. Look at the persons to your left, to your right. Look at the ones in front of you, the ones around you. You see all these people? You see everybody around you there? This is my promise to you. If you're here long enough, if you open yourself up to love like brethren, and you should, <coughs> whether on purpose or by accident, they will hurt you. It's just a fact of life. They will hurt you. How many of you have got siblings, brothers and sisters? Have you ever fought with your brothers and sisters? <laughs> That's what we do. That's what brothers and sisters do, right? We fight. But that don't mean that we put them out once we have a, a disagreement with them. That, that doesn't mean that we give up on them because they hurt us. That's not what brothers and sisters do. We fight for the relationship. We overlook hurts. We are quick to forgive. And guess what? As much as I hate it, I, as your pastor, will probably hurt you one day. I can remember, actually, several occasions where my pastor, and as far as I know, was unknowingly hurt me deeply. And as far as I know, to this day, he has no idea that he hurt me. But I decided that my relationship with him and my love for him was stronger than any hurt that he brought against me. And I decided I wanted to fight for that relationship. Not returning evil for evil. 
This literally means to stop returning evil for evil. This is assuming that we've been returning evil for evil, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yes, Lord. Not returning evil for evil. You see, this is speaking of a person who has a wicked disposition about them. Can you imagine there's people like that in church? Huh? Who just kind of have a bend towards doing mean things. Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek... Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and to take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of our Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, this requires a right attitude. Their actions are on purpose. Their actions are malicious. They set out to hurt you. And God says not to return evil for evil. Do not retaliate. When somebody does evil against you, our response must be done with purpose. Or railing for railing. I can remember two times right off the top of my head where I had a couple of brothers that verbally attacked me. The first one was because the man worked for me and I had to fire him. And he let me have it right out on the church steps. (laughs) The second one was because I made an unpopular decision that I knew was the biblical response. And this gentleman told me, and I quote, You are a child of Satan sent to persecute me. I can honestly say in both situations, I sincerely told them that I was sorry if I hurt them. I did not mean to hurt them, but I had to stand upon the principles and the grounds of the Bible. And my heart was pure and my heart was genuine. And over the years, I've done all that I can do to bring peace between those men and I. Our relationships are not the same, but I believe that there's peace between us.
giving blessings instead. This is where your commitment and application come into practice. Not only are you not supposed to retaliate, no longer are you not supposed to mouth back. When they're mouthing you, you don't bite back at them. He says, not only do you not do that, but I want you to do good towards them. Oh, isn't it enough if I just don't say something? He says, I want you to bring blessings instead. Instead of cursing back, bring blessings. How committed are you to loving life and seeing good days? See, that's the real question because it's in your hands. Give blessings instead. That means to to praise or to speak well of others. So how can we bless others? First, love them unconditionally. I never stopped loving those brothers who verbally attacked me. I can honestly say I didn't. My heart was broke. I was hurt, but I never stopped loving them. And I still love them today. Number two, to pray for them. To pray for them. And number three, express your gratitude for them. Tell people that you appreciate them. Tell them why you appreciate. Be specific. What is it that that they do that you find a blessing in your life or a blessing for the church? Tell them that. That's how you bless people. Tell them that you appreciate them. And number four, and most important, we must forgive them. We must forgive each other. We have to be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Matthew chapter 18 And verse 21 through 35 says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. I'm sorry, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77. 77 times. No, wait. But that, that's how it's written here, but I know that's not what it says. Seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. You are unto called that you should inherit a blessing. We are called to take the high road. This is what you're called to do. You're called to render good for evil. You're called not to retaliate. You're called not to verbally attack back when you are verbally attacked. That's what you're called to do. Listen, it just makes sense that these offenses of others towards us are so petty compared to what God has forgiven us for. We are called to bless, not to curse. Verse 10 says, For he that will love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Listen, this is a quote. Peter is quoting Psalms chapter 34 verses 12 through 14. And when he says, For... This connects us to the previous verses of verse 8 and 9. He says, refrain your tongue. James chapter 3 and verse 6 says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. Refrain the tongue. You want to love life and see good days? Learn to tame your tongue. Learn to stop talking when you shouldn't be talking. Learn to not retaliate. Learn not to fight back when they get in your face and fight you. You must not speak anything evil, vile, immoral, Because remember this, out of the overflow of the heart, or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Only speak the truth. Can you imagine? All of your happiness is tied up in this right here. You got a problem with happiness? You have a problem with with loving life and having good days? It's all tied up right here. In that unruly member of your body. Avoid repeating gossip. 
And then he says, turn from evil. This is a strong rejection of sin. In this context, it's sinful treatment of others. Do good. Have deep virtues, obeying God's will. You know what's good. Do good. Love life. This is living life to the fullest. This is not just surviving until I hit the grave. I mean, this is loving life. This is living life to the fullest. Seek peace. Seek peace. Man, if everybody in church sought after peace, man, that's tranquility. That's tranquility. That's our heart's desire, is to be at peace with our brothers and our sisters in the church. And then it says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers. This is their petitions. This is their needs. This is their wants. Listen, if you are not at peace with your brother, if you are not living a life, if you are not controlling your tongue, how do we expect God to answer our prayers when we, we can't do what he tells us to do? His eyes are over us. His eyes sees everything. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Your mouth is out of control. And he sees that. And he hears that. And it says that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, who go against what he says. The face of the Lord, this refers to judgment. His eyes represent all seeing. His face represents the manifestation of his anger. For all those who disobey his word. Did you hear anything today? How committed are you to loving life and having good days. Because guess what? It's up to you. It's up to you. Hey, I'm one of the worst about this thing getting out of control sometimes. Sometimes I need my mouth wired shut. But I've gotten better. Over, I have. I, I promise you I've gotten better over the years. Now, I, I had a situation this weekend I told my wife, I said, you don't know how bad I want to say this, this, and this. She said, me too. (laughs) But I didn't because I knew nothing good was going to come of it. I knew nothing good was going to come of it. I knew as soon as I opened my mouth, I knew as soon as I said what I wanted to say, that it was not going to do anything but cause problems. And so I let it ride. I took the high road. That was not easy. But you know what? I love life. And man, I got some good days. Oh, I got some good days. It's up to you. Stand to your feet.
You're in control. Peter showed us how to do it. It's up to you now. It's between you and God. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, what a powerful word you've given us. God, I pray for those out there this morning, God, who struggle with that tongue. God, they don't know when to stop. They don't know that they're not to return verbal abuse with verbal abuse. God, it accomplishes nothing. And God, I pray for this body, a body of brothers and sisters who love one another, a body of brothers and sisters who hurt for one another, a body of brothers and sisters who rejoice with one another. And God, I pray that when the enemy comes in like a flood, when he comes in and, and he pushes people to, to the brink of bickering and fighting and, 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 and disagreeing with one another, that God, you bring peace. May we seek peace as a family. May we seek peace in this body. May we love like brethren. Be quick to forgive. God, I know that everyone here desires to love life and to have good days. I know that, God. I pray with the Holy Spirit's help, God, that they are able to control that tongue, to do good when evil is brought against them. Can I get some of you ladies to come up with April? Come up here. She's dealing with some depression. She's got some things going on in her life. If you ladies could gather around and pray for her. When one hurts in the family, we hurt with her. God, I pray for April this morning. God, I pray for her heart. God, I pray for her mind. God, I pray you bring peace to her mind. God, I pray that you touch her in a powerful way, God. I pray the love of these ladies pours out upon her, God, that they are, are that she feels the love that encircles her right now, Father. And this love represents you, the love of a body, the love of a family, God. And I pray that she gets a hold of this, God. You have spoke to her today, God. I pray you give her, through the Holy Spirit, the power God, to control her tongue, God, that she's able to control what comes out of her mouth, Father. Let her take the high road in life. God, we love you. And God, I pray for peace. God, I pray that we seek peace, that we desire peace in our church, in our home, in our jobs, God, in our life. We seek peace and tranquility. God, we love you. And God, I thank you that we are a body in unity, God. God, we desire the truth. And God, help us to find that. Help us to seek that out. Help us to have a heart to learn. Father, we thank you.
for all you do. Go with us now as we leave this house. God, I pray you give us rest this afternoon. So many are tired today. God, give us rest. Bring us back ready to learn, ready to get a hold of your word once again. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. Please respect those that are praying, but God bless you. Have a wonderful day.